This dopey, dopey podcast is coming in your ear with heroin and ketamine, sobriety and beer. Dave and that other guy, you know, the hot one, everybody wants to fuck. Just thought I'd throw in a visual for the listeners. Now you know. Good luck. So pull up a chair, start the car, let's get on the road, hey, let's go. The Dopey Podcast is starting up, welcome to the show. This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our very good friends at Oro Recovery. They're located in sunny Southern California. They were created by Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission to create a treatment facility that runs on compassion and connection rather than control. Amazing. They have decades and decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including SMI. They make sure that your detox is as comfortable as possible, which is what we all would love, a comfortable detox. It's the dream of anybody detoxing anything. Everyone that I've ever known that has been there has only said positive things, and there's no hyperbole there. That's 100% true. If you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, you got to go to Oro. But this is not an Oro commercial without talking about the amenities. Sound bath meditation surfing, equine therapy, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge, go to Oro. Go to OroRecovery.com and get some help. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Your Sober Buddy. What is Your Sober Buddy? It is an app. It is basically like having a sober buddy right in your phone. What does this app do? It helps you to get and to maintain your sobriety. How does it do it? with mindfulness challenges, with things that keep you connected to the bigger picture. They also have an amazing social media account where you can go on there and there's lives and there's community and there's fun. When I say lives, it means you go in there and you can interact with different personalities, talking recovery, talking mindfulness, talking positive, living a good life thing. Even I'm in there sometimes. So go to YourSoberBuddy.com. Go to the Google Play Store, 
Go to the iTunes app store and download the app. You get the first week free, not to mention they have a free sober tracker. So check them out. Again, it's YourSoberBuddy.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Soberlink. We need to talk about alcohol recovery in the workplace. Talking about sobriety and proving it to your employer can be so difficult, and our friends at Soberlink want to help. If you need a reliable way to present documented proof of sobriety to a boss or a loved one, Soberlink can help. Soberlink is a high-tech portable breathalyzer system that uses facial recognition technology to verify your identity. It has unique sensors to ensure that no other air sources are being used, and it sends direct results to your specified contacts. So there's no questioning whether or not you took the test and whether or not you altered the reporting. This is why Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system is considered the gold standard. Being in recovery from alcohol does not define the future of your career or your family. Let Soberlink help. Learn more about Soberlink and request an exclusive $50 off promo code by visiting www.soberlink.com dopey. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Evolution Accounting and Consulting. If you are a business owner, a startup owner, an entrepreneur with a vision, check out Evolution Accounting and Consulting. They are a full-service accounting firm that can help you with your taxes, bookkeeping, payroll, and any other business need you may have. Their biggest passion is to help dreamers pursue their dreams so that these guys can cover your back end. Their passion allows you to pursue yours because they understand the stress caused by worrying about taxes and accounting issues. They take care of that for you. They understand the stress mostly because the owner of Evolution Accounting and Consulting is a fucking crackhead. That's right, a fucking crackhead. Fortunately, he's been in recovery for years now, and he knows the struggle as well as the success. Use the promo code DOPEY when you connect with them at www.evolution-accounting.com to receive special discounts. Hello, my name is Rivka Reyes. You might know me as the bassist from School of Rock or as a former guest on this very podcast that you're listening to right now. I want to tell you about my newest project, a short film called Gianna. Gianna! Gianna is about a queer addict who takes a suggestion from her therapist to spend time with her inner saboteur a little too far. It's a cross between Jennifer's Body and Fight Club and features an all-queer, all-people-of-color cast. We're currently crowdfunding on Seed and Spark and would love your support. Plus, if you pledge, you get access to some fabulous perks, including tarot readings, birth chart readings, personalized songs, and more. We've only got until November 2nd to reach our goal, so visit our page at Gianna.movie. That's G-I-A-N-N-A dot M-O-V-I-E to join Jack Black, Rachel Bloom, Emma Hunton, and over 100 other independent film supporters to help me make my dreams come true. I think Gianna is really going to help a lot of people, which means your support of Gianna will also help a lot of people. Once again, our website is Gianna.movie. That's G-I-A-N-N-A dot M-O-V-I-E. Gianna! All right, before we get to the show, I want to tell you guys about an amazing podcast called Recovery in the Middle Ages. It is all about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. 
Listen as they discuss current topics of interest to the recovery community, including 12-step, alt-recovery, the newest medical research, and talk about their daily struggle to maintain their recovery and anonymity in the world of soccer moms and PTA meetings. If the neighbors only knew. Find Recovery in the Middle Ages on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Basically, wherever you find anything, you can find Recovery in the Middle Ages or go to middleagesrecovery.com. And now before we get to the show, we have the, the Forever in Debt limited edition shit. Check it out. Forever in Debt limited edition shit. Uh, go to dopeypodcast.com pre-order we're shipping it out first week in november it's looking pretty beautiful we've got so much good stuff at dopeypodcast.com we also have patreon there's so much exclusive stuff on patreon last week i had an interview with a dopey nation member who produced uh, a melvin's record he discovered the black eyed peas his name is al it was an awesome conversation also, we did a bonus Ask Aaron on there. I talked about some really, really secret dopey beef. Next week, me and Aurora are going to be breaking down Game of Thrones, House of Dragons. So don't be a sucker and a cheapskate. Go to dopeypatreon.com. Actually, that's not where you go. You go to patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. Also, there is a dopey Zoom marathon this weekend. So go check it out. I will post the Zoom address. Actually, here's the Zoom address right now. It's 804-300-586. Get crazy camaraderie with the Dopey Nation all weekend long, and I'm doing a free Dopey Patreon Zoom Sunday night, so go check that out. Enough with the ads. Here's the fucking show. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave, and did you know uh, that you, Aurora, are very popular in the Dopey Nation, and due to popular demand, back on the scene, my good friend, Aurora, welcome back to the show. Yo, 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 yo. Hi. <laughs> Happy to be back. Did you say, say yo, yo, yo? Yeah. Just, just, I told you that... I'm we have been, well, we watched an episode of UMTV Raps. Actually, I told my um, partner, I started calling Jeff, um, my boyfriend, my partner, because I think it sounds like more serious. <laughs> but then I'm like always afraid to say partner. I'm like, well, people think I'm a lesbian if I say partner. Um, they will. But, or they think it's your business partner. This week I made like a declaration like, we have fucking gotten way too far away from hip hop and we're not listening to enough hip hop and we have to listen to more hip hop. So, basically. so, so to deal with that, you, you listen to, you you watch your TV raps. No, that was before my declaration. And we watched your TV raps a few weeks ago, um, after a survivor episode. But, um, yeah, this week I listened to, um, rap caviar on Spotify, that playlist, which has like a lot of new hip hop tracks just to see like what's out there. Cause I've listened to Kendrick Lamar's record a ton this year, but that is it. Have yeah. you listened to that record? No, I don't listen to anything, any, any kind of current stuff, but I did listen to Gangstar featuring nice and smooth Dwick yesterday twice. 
I think you I think you should listen to some you I always have I've been saying that to you for years though that you should listen to some more current things yeah my brain can't handle it but what I want to know is that on the yo MTV raps episode you watched with your partner what era was (laughs) it what videos came up oh god what Eric B and Rakim uh Mob Deep Jeff would remember more. I, I mean, I wanted to see, it was Grand Puba and Mary J. Blige, so they performed live at the end. What's oh, the yeah. 401? Oh, oh, yeah. oh, Arrested video, which like really made my fucking heart sing. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was awesome. Could watch, well, let me turn my notifications off. I could watch much more of it. Yeah, I haven't seen Yo! MTV Raps in a minute, but I've been like getting ready for uh, an interview with this guy named Dante Ross, who was like one of the biggest A&R people around all the biggest uh, 90s hip-hop, including Grand Pooba. So I think I'm going to take the plunge as well. But more importantly than your hip-hop consumption... Oh, you want to hear something that's fucking annoying? Oh, shit, I didn't shut my notifications off. Um, You want to hear something more annoying than your hip-hop consumption, but it's kind of similar? Yeah, hit, hit me with it. All right, so... This, That's annoying. I don't even talk like that. I'm like talking like that for like fucking radio or something. I don't know. Just why, tell me. What do you? I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what what this new radio persona you have. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Wu Tang Clan is has a an exclusive partnership with the Knicks, where they're putting out this hoodie called Wu York Knicks, right? And it's got a Wu Tang logo and a Knicks logo together, and then on the back it says 36. Shaolin and I look at it guess how much they want for it I'm gonna guess $170 that was a hundred dollars right hundred dollar hoodie and I was like I can't buy it I can't I can't buy the hundred dollar hoodie I can't do it and then like two days go by and email says are you didn't buy (laughs) you did email messages me you missed out on this deal and I was like oh boy I really did want to buy that hoodie and I go back in and I'm like, no, I can't do it. Because with shipping and shit, it was like 117. I was like, I can't do that. That's crazy. And then two days more go by <clears throat> and it says, are you sure you want to miss out on that offer? And I'm like, no, I don't want to miss out. And I go in to buy the $117 hoodie and it had sold out. Sold out. Yeah. You should have bought it. I know. Like, so from, I'm so cheap. From the get, Dave. I, I <laughs> know. I wanted it. I wanted it so bad. Anyway, you're cheap. You should have bought it. I know. But more importantly, we are coming up on your seven year anniversary. How do you feel, Aurora? I have six years. I do not have seven years. You have six I years, feel... 11 months, three weeks, I and three days. I have 24 hours. I have 24 hours. 24 That's hours. Kind of like... 24 hours since when? <laughs> when does the 24 hours? No, you don't. You have like 12 hours since yesterday. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's true. I I have 24 hours. That's how I You don't even go to yesterday. meetings. You don't even go to meetings. Yes, I do. I started I told you I started going back. All right, so break it down. So how do you feel with your your, your 12 hours or whatever you want to say? How do you feel today? <laughs> I feel pretty good today. I'm excited. I'm I'm looking forward to having 7 years in a couple weeks and um I think when I was listening to the Kat Von D interview though, it did strike me as like you know, she was talking about, oh, she had 15 years, but like also I think she might have said like that 
maybe I can't remember if she did say she had a day or whatever, but just, you know, I've heard that a lot in meetings, but, um, you know, the, the, like kind of the preciousness of your sobriety, like it would be very easy to lose all that time. So really you, you know, it's always helpful to think about things in a 24 hour period. Like, you know, I'm sober today. All right. All right. Uh, Sensei. But let me ask you this, you know, there's this, uh, (laughs) there's this woman, Maya Solovitz who was at DopeyCon and she's, Uh she's not, she's not in 12 step recovery she's, I don't think she's abstinent, but she argues that like, and a lot of people talk about this and I'm sure you've heard people talk about it. People who relapse, who had a bunch of time, right. And then they come back and they, and they say, well, I didn't lose the 10 years I had, you know what I'm saying? Like I had 10 years, I relapsed, but I didn't lose the 10 years. What do you have to say about that sensei Aurora? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I agree that like you don't lose. I mean, I don't think you could then say like, I have 12 years after you've been back for two, but like, yeah, you don't, you don't lose that time. I mean, you know what a sober life is like. Totally. I Um, I once had a guy on who had like 12 years started doing Vicodin as prescribed, then didn't do them as prescribed then said he relapsed, but kept saying he had the 12 years. But I mean, honestly, what it, it's like, who cares? You know what I mean? It doesn't matter what anyone says. All that matters is how you feel. You know what I mean? If you don't feel comfortable saying I have seven years coming up on seven years and you want to say I have 24 hours, that's great. And if, and if you, if you have 10 years and you relapse uh, and you say, well, I had 10 years, but however you want to tell your story, it's on you. You know what I mean? Like, it's just people get so stupid with that shit. Like it, it only means something if it means something to you. Yeah, I agree. I'm glad. It's nice that you agree. I mean, me. I, you know, I think uh, some of those people maybe in meetings that get hung up on stuff is like, you know, you want people to be honest, right? And addicts and alcoholics, a lot of times, like we're not honest and we're especially not honest with ourselves. So like if you have relapsed, like you want to get honest that like, you know, that you have to start fresh, you know, that you are starting from the beginning again or ground zero, you know? My favorite thing with relapse is is finding out what happened. You know, like where the meeting that we <clears throat> we used to go to, every day somebody would say, the way I avoid relapse is, I, is I, am I going to a meeting? Am I talking to another alcoholic or an addict? Am I working with a sponsor? Am I working with a sponsee? You remember when they used to say that every day? Yeah. And and I don't hear that at my meeting. You know, I don't they don't say that at the meeting I go to. But I like that because it's like it is um it's like a bundle up against relapse. If you do all those things, you're probably not going to. I like that. It's like an assurance. It's an insurance policy to avoid it. I remember one that always struck me was like, when I pray in the morning, I ask God to keep me sober. And I don't know anybody who's ever relapsed who like started the day with that prayer. All right. That always really that always resonated with me. You stopped going to meetings for a long time. Why don't you share about that period? That dark period of your recovery. <laughs> oh my god, insane. It's just it's so funny how like you like to compare, compare and despair, me and you, like to think about how, what like the fire that burned in me in the beginning and all the meetings I went to and how involved in AA I was and you were not. And like the, <laughs> how our, how our roles have flip flopped. And now you're like fucking 
Susie AA with a million sponsees, and I like stop going to meetings. It's uh, ironic, Dave. Well, how was that? No, uh, I'm, I'm not asking to judge you. I'm serious. Like, how was it without going to meetings? Is it that much different? Like, what's the difference? Um, yeah, there was something. I, w- I went to this meeting, so I started going to some meetings in North Carolina where I have a house with your part- and, with your partner um, with with my partner. Um, and so I pretty much kind of live here now and I started going to meetings here and <clears throat> there went to a step meeting last week. We were reading out of the 12 and 12 and there was something in, uh, step 10, like about, you know, like about if you, if you relapse, like the minute you get away from, uh, the program and like, if you relapse and you start drinking, like it's as bad as it was like very quickly. Right. Like so it's a, explain, that, are, explain that to me. Like, you know, you know that story in the big book about the guy that like he didn't drink for twenty five or thirty five years. The carpet slippers. The carpet slippers. And then you know he was as bad as he you know in a few years time he was as as bad an alcoholic as he had been and he was dead even though he'd had all those twenty five years of sobriety like it didn't you know you will so that I, I so long story short you know basically I didn't go out and use, but like my thinking, I was an, I'm an untreated alcoholic without a program and my thinking gets really, and my behavior gets really crazy. Um, and meaning like, all I think about is myself. I I don't try to lead with love and compassion. I want to always be right. Like all these character defects basically. So uh, I think that's, you know, part of the reason why I went back to meetings. But you know what? Let's get really fucking honest. The reason I probably am going back to meetings is because I'm sick of being inside my fucking house. I'm like, I work from home and so does my boyfriend. And like, I'm just like sick of it. Like, I, I need to get out of the fucking house. I like only have one friend here in North Carolina. And like, I'm like, let me go to meetings just to like be able to fucking go somewhere. And so like it's is your, not is even your, is your one friend Jenny? Yeah. Well, you've it's got like, you got one crazy I'm, friend. <laughs> I got one crazy friend here. If I want to get really honest, I mean even getting sober, like I wanted that 90-day coin because I'm crazy and competitive. I didn't really want to get sober. Like right now, I didn't really want to get back to meetings, but I'm like going fucking stir crazy in this house and I got nowhere to go and no friends, so I'm like I'll go to a fucking evening meeting. Well, that makes sense and you can make friends there too. Oh please! You don't like no you. Way. You haven't seen anybody that you let you like there. No, no. Actually, there's one. There's one woman that seems cool. Yeah. I told you, I uh, like I I I I'm trying to work with this uh this new sponsee guy, and he's like, "Can you drive me to the meeting?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And he gets in the car, and he's like, "I just got out of the VA." And I'm like, "What do you do?" He's like, "Oh, I was in the Navy." And I was like, "Well, what did you do in the Navy?" And he goes. I was a combat medic and I went, Oh, Jeffrey Dahmer was a combat medic too. <laughs> I don't think he was. He was. was. He? Did you watch this show? Uh, I watched a little bit of the, of the scripted one. Yes. I watched a little bit of it, but it made me honestly, like it felt so, I don't, I, I just kept thinking about the people's families. I was like, I mean, I have no problem watching like a true crime, right. like kind of like archival doc about right. Jeffrey Dahmer, but something like with the dramatized version made me feel like really fucking skeevy. Like I'm watching it. I'm watching it with Linda. It is, it is so t- 
terrifying to me and it makes me so uncomfortable. And, uh, and I'm like, and I, all, all night I'm just like, this is, and I, I'm having nightmares, like total fucking <laughs> trauma nightmares. Like, the, like Susan woke us up in the middle of the night and I, I was in the middle of like a, terrifying nightmare and i was like i can't go in there and i didn't even i couldn't even connect like where i was and and from like that show fucks me up and i'm like linda this is horrible we can't watch it and she's like shut the fuck up if you didn't like the show you wouldn't watch it with me and she's right i'm sitting there watching the whole show with her and it's like yeah and and, and i also believe I believe if if Jeffrey Dahmer's alcoholism was treated, this would not have happened. Every person he fucking killed in a blackout. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Um, so I had more AA stuff to talk about. Time sharing. Okay. I want to talk about time <laughs> sharing. At my meeting, they don't have time sharing. And you know what this guy does? He fuck the chair. That I don't know if I told you about this. The chairperson at the he waits till there's 10 minutes left in the meeting and then he decides no. he's no. going to give the end of the meeting address for 10 minutes. No. Every fucking oh Saturday he does it. I hope he doesn't listen to the show cuz he's going to get pissed. But if you don't get in there before 8 7 8:50 on Saturday, this dude is going to give his address at the end like he's fucking Abraham Lincoln. What the fuck is well, that? Well, I mean, I've only been to three different meetings here in North Carolina so yes. far. Cause there's one, I, there is one literally like it is a one minute drive from my house. It could not be more convenient. Another reason why I'm going, <laughs> and, right. but there's no time sharing. No, you know, there is no time sharing people. Just the first meeting I went to was a tradition meeting. I was like, Oh, this is fucking, yeah, this is, this is just my luck that I would walk into a tradition <laughs> meeting tradition for my first it? meeting back. Oh, I think it was 10. I can't remember. What is Maybe that? Nine. What is that? Tradition? Nine. No, is, tradition nine. What is that tradition? Um, you don't know. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Anyway. It, and, and do they have time sharing? And, and I think it was, a, it's about service organizations. I oh think God. it's tradition nine. Uh, they, um, yeah. but a woman, the, the speaker, untimed speaker, using sharing with outside literature she had like three different like you know meditation and self-help books she was quoting from then it was untimed sharing i was like why the fuck do people stay sober here <laughs> untimed like, sharing what? oh my god it's unbelievable and then they have speaker meetings but the speaker speaks for 50 minutes there's no sharing five zero. i went to another meeting I went to another meeting. They don't tell what the, you know, it's just very different. You know, LA and New York are very organized. There's no talk about what the format is of the meeting. So it's like, you don't know, like, do you read a chapter from the big book and then everyone shares also like there's, you know, if people want to read, they just shout out and read. You don't go around the room. I find it. Yo, my whole, lack of structure. My whole meeting is that nobody gets called on. If you want to share, you just have to talk the whole meeting that. every day that's how we do it but um i have a i have a voice and is it just discussion huh is it just discussion well like is there like a topic or is there a literature or a speaker no every day is different it's like today we read from that the worst book the came to believe book it's like oh i don't 
fucking came mm. to believe. That's the worst. And also people here shared double. Like, so there was a silence in the room. And so somebody that had already shared, shared again. Did they say, like, do you mind if I double dip? No, they thank God they didn't say that. But it's also like, it's like the craziest people or the people that share too long are the ones that share twice. It's just like, let's get some fucking rules in place here, people. Well, you need, you need, Nobody, you need, you need strict control. I know you, you need strict control. I know. I'm like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to start attending some business meetings. That's what I said. I said, I'm going to go to the attend the business meeting and say, I want time sharing. And they were like, they were like, it's in the group conscience. You're going to have to like, it's never going to happen. But uh, there's a guy at my beach meeting, and he told me this dopey story. And do you want to hear it? No. Well, just shut up. <laughs> just tell the fucking story. All right. I was in uh, working in Rikers Island, and uh, I like to smoke weed. And uh, You smoke weed while you worked? Yeah, every day. Um, so we started working, and we have a... Uh, a big pit we dug, and the guys are down about 30 feet in a hole. There's a mini excavator down there, and a 10-inch hose feeding some air down there. Hold on, so you're above the solitary confinement? Yes. I'm up, uh, I'm up on the road and uh, with the barbed wire around and all the cameras. And uh, so I started uh, smoking my one-hitter. And uh, Is it like a little bat, or is it the glass one? Yeah, it's a, it's a little, uh, like a little bat, you know, one-hitter. And uh, I figured I'd blow it through the uh, the uh, the fan that uh, that actually feeds the air down there. So I sat on a pail and realized after the one hit, there was too many guys down there. So I had to go get a bigger one. I got my big bowl and uh, taking one for the team. I fed about six guys, and uh, I would blow it down there. And I had uh, the engineer video on it. It was pretty cool, so I could show my friends. And uh, they loved it. The super would keep yelling at me, stop it, Sean. That's when I blow more. <laughs> and uh, I had the guys taking their hard hats off and putting this tennis line over their head. You know, they walked out of there sideways. Um, it was good. I told them I took one for the team, you know. I don't really get stoned. I smoke all day and uh, I don't know. I think I get fired up. It's like cocaine. You know, it energizes it you. It fucking energizes me. What well, we need to know, we need to get a hold of some of the guys from Rikers who were in the hole that day, who were imagining that smoke came down and and blessed them. Do you think that there? Do you think that uh, you got some people high, or you think it didn't get anybody high? Oh, they got high. <laughs> and uh, if you want, we can line them up to talk next. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. So, what do you think about that? Wait, what did he say? He was working construction at Rikers, and then he started blowing his weed smoke into, like, where prisoners were? What? Yes. He was working above solitary confinement at Rikers Island, and he had a video of it that he showed me, and he's taking these giant poles off this pipe and blowing it down into solitary confinement. So what do you think about that, Aurora? I think it's very a very stony thing to do. Yeah, this guy's a total fucking stoner. He's he's still smoking weed every day. He hasn't had a drink in what? like 20 years, but he smokes weed every day. But he goes to meetings. Yeah, he's trying to work a program while he's smoking weed every day. But he's a good guy. Let's not judge Sean. I like him. No, no. Keep coming back, Sean. Keep coming. Um, You're in therapy, right? Who, me? Yeah. Yeah, I'm in therapy. Is it in person or online? I'm in online therapy. Nice. Until I, I have to 
I have to find a new therapist that's in the network, though, because uh, my old therapist doesn't take any insurance and it's very expensive. Well, it's interesting that you should say that because this episode of Dopey is brought to you guys by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Do you go to therapy to help you solve problems rather than getting spun out on the problem, Aurora? Do you go there for solutions? Yes, indeed. For sure. A therapist can help you deal with the washing machine that is your brain and help you become a better problem solver. Uh, what personal experiences with therapy, like why would you recommend someone gets online therapy, Rory? I mean, I think, you know, a little self-reflection, somebody else to kind of bounce stuff off of is always a good idea. Definitely. Unload stress, you get emotional healing, help with anxiety and depression. And if you're thinking of getting therapy, BetterHelp is an amazing option because it's so convenient, it's accessible, it's affordable, it's totally online. You don't have to worry if they're in network or not. You get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and you can switch therapists at any time. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash dopey podcast and you can get 10% off your first month. Pretty good deal, right, Roar? Pretty good deal, yeah. That's betterhelp.com slash dopey podcast. So go get your therapy, Roar. You, maybe you should do better help and get the discount. I'll try, I'll try it. I'll see if I connect. Awesome. Very good. And now we have a kind of dopey reality show superstar, right? Yeah, she's a big deal. She's a big deal. Here she is, Kat Von D. I am joined via Zoom with the the lovely and incredibly talented Kat Von D, fucking musician, singer, tattoo artist, author, best-selling author, I should say, makeup designer. Welcome to Dopey. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> it's, it's a pleasure. Are you kidding me? So I was just reading that you gave up all of your occult stuff. Yes, I did. Well, I mean, you know, I, I had a collection over the years of all kinds of different literature. And, you know, I think when I post, I usually don't post stuff like that too often, but you know, some of my favorite philosophers are, you know, like Friedrich Nietzsche and things like that. Like a, a lot of like the, the classics that really like hone in on the idea of accountability. And so I, when I think about all of these other, it's a little bit hard to talk about it because I don't want to ever put anybody down or anybody's, you know, I think everybody's on their own journey in their own way. And some things help people in ways and some things don't. And for me, I just felt like I was kind of like not hiding behind things, but using things as a crutch versus like just, you know, facing uh, life head on. And so, you know, I, I, I love certain elements of, of different like wisdom books, but I, I did find that there was, you know, parts of some of the literature I had that didn't really align with who I am today and who I want to be. And, and so it was, it's not like throwing them away as getting rid, rid of like demonic entities in the house. It was just more symbolic for me of like, Hey, like I, I want to move away from certain things. And it does, it's not changing 
you know, my style or, you know, the things that I, I gravitate towards, you know, like I, I'm not going to dress like a mom or, you know, get rid of like all the stuff with skulls on it. You know, it's, it's not that at all. I mean, I got, I got rid of a lot of like my meditation stuff too, you know, I think, and some people were kind of confused by that, but I feel like, you know, I was doing transcendental meditation for a long time and it helped me, you know, with anxiety and things like that. And I think that meditation is good for a lot of people. What I would like to do is just like master my ability to face my problems without the crutch of those things. Like instead of just saying a mantra over and over and hypnotizing myself, just, you know, facing things head on and, and, and be okay. And, you know, so this is just my own journey, you know, it's not, it's not something that I'm like, Oh, everybody should be like me and do this or do that. And I think some people took offense from that, that post thinking that I was attacking maybe their belief system or, you know, the things that they're into, but, you know, I have tons of friends that still, you know, that are really close to me that love tarot and they love crystals and all that stuff. And for me, I just don't, I'm not looking to find answers through, through things like that. You know, I'd rather find it through myself and, and just living life, you know, clearly in that way, if that makes any sense. It does. It sounds like you got a lot of backlash for, for that post. You know, I, w- I would say 90% was positive though. I think everybody was like, I think there's a lot of people that are kind of going through similar things. And, and I, if I help somebody feel less alone in that process, I mean, that's why i I'm always very open about my sobriety. You know, it's not, it's not, sobriety isn't for everybody. I have tons of friends that can have a beer or have a drink or smoke weed or whatever. I, I personally, I'm not, I'm not one of those people. Like if I, if I have one of anything, I just destroy my life and people are built differently. So what works for me might not work for others. No, I can totally relate to that. And it was a great John Lennon song that once said, I don't believe in tarot. I just believe in me. And like, honestly, like if you throw away books or you move away from meditation or whatever, there's, it's like housekeeping. It's like spring cleaning in a way. And if, and if something journeys back into your life, you're like, oh, I miss, I miss chanting. It's not like you're never going to be able to chant again. If you want to chant one day, you can always do that. I got tired of listening to Led Zeppelin for years and now I'm, now I'm enjoying Led Zeppelin again. So like, I mean, good for you. I mean, I, and and I have like a, a pretty expansive library. I mean, that, that little stack, I mean, I have over 500 books that I've read and, and that I've collected and stuff, but there, there was another stack of books that I threw away as well that were like, you know, at the time I thought were entertaining or just have like certain artwork that, you know, uh, that appealed to me that now that I have a kid, I don't, I don't really want him reading that stuff. You know, like I know it sounds silly, but like, I love Robert Crumb, you know, I, I, I think he, I love his story his artistic abilities, but do I want my kid looking through those types of images at an early age on accident? No, I don't, you know? And so, so it's, it's not, I think people thought I had like this like aha moment, but it's, it's actually been, you know, I've been kind of gravitating towards these changes for quite some time. You know, it's not like it just happened overnight. And, and it's, and like I said, it works for some people and for some it doesn't. And that's okay. No, I get it. It's funny because a few Christmas, I have two kids. I have two daughters. And a few Christmases yeah. ago, my wife gave me a Robert Crumb book, <laughs> you know, like all these Robert yeah. Crumb cartoons. And, I, you know, my older daughter was like, can I look at that? And I was like, hold on, let me look. And I was like, absolutely not. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, no, not now. Give it, give it another 15 years and then you can, you yeah. can check it out. 
But it's funny, yeah. you know, because one of the first things you just said was, I'm not going to start dressing like a mom. And I'm sure there's millions of moms who are aligned with how you dress and how you think. Yeah. And it's, it's just like, you're not going to dress like a classic soccer mom. But, yeah. but do you I, think, I think I, do you think, <laughs> do you think one day you're going to be at like an Indiana fucking soccer game on the sidelines? That would be, oh man, I hope, I hope that happens. You know, it, it, yeah. I mean, look, I take my kid to like the trampoline park and like, I'm dressed like this jumping around. And I, I just don't, you know, I was talking about this to my bandmate, Greg yesterday, actually, cause we were filming a music video and, you know, I was wearing like a full latex cat suit with like a skeleton print thing. And, you know, he was wearing a crazy outfit too. And it's like, you know, and we're getting older and stuff, but I'm like, I, I think like, I'm never going to stop being who I am. And I, I, if anything, I think it'll be even cooler as I get older, you know, I'll be like, you know, the weird old lady with like red lipstick and too much eyeliner. And, you know, I'm a character and I, like my kid loves it. And like to, to him, I am a classic mom. I'm just my own version of that. But yeah, will I be attending my kids' soccer games? Of course, you know, and I'll just be myself. <laughs> just, just out of curiosity, real quick, did you prefer the monsters or the Adams family? Both. I mean, I think... It's funny because I have a, a contortionist in my band named Bryn. She's like a pure athlete and she has like, you know, bright blonde hair and she's like the sweetest and cutest. But every now and then she'll say some dark shit and I'm like, oh, you're like the Lily Monster of our, our crew, you know? No, she, um, she's like the Marilyn. She's like the cousin Marilyn, yeah. right? Yeah, to yeah, totally. To yeah, not Lily. Yeah, yeah. Like she's our Marilyn. And uh, it's it, it's funny to me. But yeah, no, I like both of them. I love the monsters. Yeah. So first question, first important question. We'll move away from these. Oh, I wanted to ask about Aleister Crowley before we moved away yeah. from this. Like yeah. I, I, I was, you know, I was never like into the occult. I was more occult adjacent and I was interested mm -hmm. in people that were interested in the occult. And I was interested, Aleister Crowley was an interesting character. You know, did you ever read that book, Diary of a Drug Fiend? Mm, no, no, I've heard of it. He wrote this book called Diary of a Drug Fiend about, it was like World War, a World War II pilot, and 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 Aleister Crowley writes about himself as this kind of demonic priest, and it's crazy. Yeah. It's a crazy book, but like I have a friend of mine who is very fearful of Satan and Satanism and all this shit, and he's like, you can, and I, I don't want to take this interview to a bad place, so hold on yeah, to your sure. chair, hold on to your chair <laughs> for a second, and he was like. He was like, you can make contact with demons very easily and all and all this kind of stuff. And that was my first reaction when I, you know, I'm Googling you and the first things that I'm reading are Kat Von D, you know, is getting rid of her occult stuff. Did you, were you ever intrigued with that kind of stuff, demonology and contacting dark forces to help you on your way sort of thing? No, I mean, I was never like selling my soul or, but I think like, you know, even from an early age, like like whether you believe in like Ouija boards and I've always been like, why, why invite that energy into your life? So I, I never fucked around with that stuff. It's scary. You know, it could be, I mean, to a certain degree, I feel like I feel pretty strong in, in my path and where I'm at that like, you know, well, personally, I've never seen a ghost. I've never experienced, I have a lot of friends that are level headed, you know, and that have had certain experiences and I, trust that they're telling the truth, but I personally haven't. And it's not to say that, you know, it doesn't exist if you don't see it, but 
I, I just feel like, like, are you ready to die? You know, that like, for me, I, I just know that if today was my last day, I, I would feel like my side of the fence is clean. And, and there's like a certain, you know, it might sound a little bit morbid, but like, I'm not afraid of that. Do I want to live? Of course. I want to see my kid grow up and, and do all, you know, grow old and die happy. But if, if something were to happen, I would be at peace with that. And I'm not scared of that. So like the idea of like a demon or something like that, like, or, you know, the word demon is a funny word because like, to me, I feel like demon, there, there are demons in this world and it's not necessarily like a man with horns. I think like the internet is demonic. I think, you know, the, the idea of wanting more than what you have can possess you. You're no longer in control. You're not making conscious decisions. And so that's kind of how I see like, you know, the, the, the light and the dark. And, you know, I, I've read all the Aleister Crowley books that I had and I threw away. And, and I can see how some people might find some of those teachings appealing, but there's other sides to it that I feel like I don't want any part of that. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's interesting. I think there's like, I think it is a little bit black and white for me. You know, it's like, there's a certain path and anything that kind of grab that, that pulls me away from that path is not a good thing. And it's something that I would want to work to stay away from, but you know, it doesn't mean that I don't fall prey to it. You know, I mean, I have, I'm human, you know, I have feelings of, you know, envy at times, or, you know, we have our own struggles and I think as long as we can practice not letting that consume us, that's the key, you know? I mean, it's kind of like drugs in that sense. To me, I feel like drugs are a demonic possession. You know, I have friends that, and you do too, that like when they're sober, like they're great people. And if they relapse or slip up, like it's it's an alien, you know, that's not the same person. So, so yeah, I, that's kind of how I see like demonology working, you know? It doesn't have to be like the exorcist per se. Totally. No, I appreciate that. And, and the thing I loved about your post more than anything was how you want to be drawn to the light, like to good things, like good energy. And like, I love good energy. And I love, I love yeah. the, the sentiment seems hokey and it seems like understated, but like, again, being a parent, being a person in recovery, wanting to have fun wanting to spread joy, wanting yeah. to enjoy my life. Like those things are so important. Like just to, you know, if you, if you go into the closet and you want the devil to come grant you some wishes, I want to have my life to be as fun as it can be and full of yeah. light and joy. And we can encant those things. And which is why yeah. like I related to your, to your post. Yeah. I think though, I've, I think I offended a lot of like the, the Wiccan community because, you know, um, from some of the comments I saw was just like, they don't want to be put in the same sentence as Aleister Crowley. And I get that. But to me, it's like, like I said, it's not just the satanic shit. It's like the meditation stuff or whatever that wasn't working for me. Like I, I love, I love a, a lot of the the things that I've learned through the Wiccan literature that I had. Like I love being connected to nature. I love herbology. I love, you know, feeling connected in that sense. But I think when you start falling into like spell work and, the, I guess the idea of like, in my mind, what I call like the natural course of things. Like we, when we try to manipulate the natural course of things for selfish needs, I, I don't think that's a good thing. And, you know, like even, even prayer, you know, like my son and I pray every night before we go to bed, I ask him what are his favorite three things of the day. And, and we give gratitude for that. 
it's not like, you know, I think that praying and asking for the car of your dreams or whatever, that's that you're almost manipulating that natural course versus like just a sense of gratitude. You have to be careful what you're asking for, I think. And, and this, again, this is just how I live my life. It's not, you know, I'm sure a lot of people on all sides would disagree and, and that's okay. You know, <laughs> totally. And the Wiccans and the dopey nation, I know, appreciate your, your thought. Cause there's a lot of Wiccans in the dopey nation. So Wiccans like support cat. She's not, she's still, she still loves you guys. It's okay. Yeah, of course. And I, so I shouldn't pray for downloads then that's not a proper prayer. <laughs> I got to take that. Uh, no, I pray. I pray to not be crazy. Right. I pray to keep me in tune. I pray to like, I, I just pray to like be part of the plan. You know what I mean? Sometimes yeah. I pray for downloads once in a while when I'm feeling really yeah. weak. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, so what came first tattoos, punk rock, drinking, or demonology? Music came first. I started playing music at a very early age. I was playing classical music, like being classically trained since I was five. And I don't think a lot of people know that. So, you know, I was brought up on a healthy diet of Beethoven and Chopin, Mozart, that kind of stuff, which I still love till this day and still play. And so I, I would say music was first and foremost. How's your, you know, that, how's your piano playing right now? Pretty good. Maybe like a seven. So you can fuck, <laughs> you can fuck it up a little bit on the piano if there's a piano. Oh yeah. 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 I, I read sheet music. So, you know, that's the one thing that's a little bit of a downfall. You know, I wish I was like little Richard and I could just sit down and play my feelings, but I have to actually like read, like even my own songs that I write, I, I get transcribed and, and actually read and play. But some people think that's impressive. And I, I think, I, I, I don't know, all my singer songwriter friends, they, they tend to just, you know, play from the heart. And I think that's, you know, I'm envious of that. <laughs> so music, classical music first, and then did the, the rebellion happen? Like what was the band that's, was it the Misfits or the Ramones? I read both. Oh, Misfits for sure. I like the Ramones, but I, I love, I love the Misfits and Sammy and Danzig, all that stuff. Yeah. I got into punk rock music first. And then that was like, I think that really spoke to me. Cause I feel like when we moved to America, I was born in Mexico. We moved here. We lived in the middle of nowhere and I never really felt like I belonged, like even within my own family unit, like something was different, I think. And so, well, my first record that I ever got was the Plasmatics. And I just remember seeing Wendy Williams, like, you know, sitting on a Cadillac that was driven into a pool and she had a mohawk. And I was just like, oh, like, who is this being, you know? And I, I really connected with that outsider mentality. And, and also, you know, as a kid, you want to fight for things. You know, I got into a lot of like the peace punk stuff and, and I, you know, you want to have like this cause to fight for. But then once I, you know, graduated to like metal, metal really spoke to me because I think my classical music background, you know, I was like, I loved the technicality of scales and like, like showmanship. And so it wasn't just like power chords, like meh, meh, meh. it was, you know, like, Dio was an actual excellent singer and like, you know, Iron Maiden and all that stuff. And then, and then once I discovered like post-punk, like, you know, The Cure, Susie and the Banshees, Depeche, but that's where I was like, okay, this is where I belong. Cause I love the poetry. I love the, the capability of singing and then the music, musicianship, you know, the analog synthesizers and things like that. Right. And the, I, I like the post-punk stuff. I always wanted to get into post-punk, but I never found, I never found the right way into it. When I was a kid, I was like scared of punk rock. I was terrified of metal. 
I was like scared. Really? Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I'm a big nerd from New York City. It's a different, yeah. it's a total different thing. Cause like there aren't like metalheads wandering around Manhattan. Like, you know, it's just, a yeah. it's a different, it was a different thing. And I was a very fearful person growing up, which is probably why I became a heroin addict. But yeah. <laughs> so, so you're, you're a, a young punk or pro, post-punk metal person. How did you, when did you, what was first tattoo or taking your first drink? So I started tattooing when I was 14 and you know, I think it was like my late teens where obviously you, you experiment, you know, I drank for the first time, like some Boone's farm or some garbage alcohol, you know? And, uh, and it wasn't anything like, I was like, Oh, like I'm just going to destroy my life. I really didn't start doing drugs until my twenties. And, you know, it's probably the same story you've heard a million times over. I think it's just a form of escapism and, I tend to graduate very quickly. You know, it's not like I'm like, oh, I'm just going to dabble here. I'm just like, I I went from, you know, experimenting to an eight ball a day. And, you know, it was quite quick. And I was already tattooing professionally by then. And the thing is, is that I fell in love with tattooing so deeply from the first time I ever did a tattoo. And so I, I remember making a promise to myself that like if anything ever got in the way of my art, that I would delete it. And, you know, that included relationships or whatever, you know, like a lot of boyfriends would be like, you work too much. And I'm like, see ya, you know? And then I think when the drinking and the drug, I mean, I, I got, I stopped doing drugs first and still continue to drink. And then that came to a head once I, I, at that point I was already filming LA Inc out here and running my tattoo shop and everything. And I, you know, I didn't show up to work. And usually, I, you know, I was pretty high functioning. So I was still showing up. And and I just remember, like, it just felt like I turned my back on my art. And it was simple. You know, it wasn't easy. It was simple. I just made the decision, like, no more. And I went through my phone, deleted all my drug dealers' numbers, all my friends, my party animal friends. And it was a bit of a lonely experience in the beginning. But I think when you filter out that kind of, you know, companionship, you end up making room for other people that are on the same level. And I quickly like gained friends that were also sober and, or, you know, or just didn't drink or do drugs and had more meaningful relationships. I hear you. What was it like? Like, cause you weren't, you were, you were actively drinking and using when you started becoming famous. Can you tell us a little bit yeah. about that experience? Yeah. I mean, I was drinking and doing drugs before that, but like, all right, but, tell us more. Uh, I want to, I want to dive into your drinking and drugging career for a second. Cause the, the dopey nation yeah. loves that stuff. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, I think there were some things that I kind of subconsciously blocked out. And then, and then most recently Paris Hilton came out with like this documentary about being put into this. The Provo I mean, Canyon school. Yeah. They call it a school, but it's like a lockdown facility. And and she reached out to me and was like, hey, you know, I, I heard that you you went, went to Provo as well. Would you be open to talking about it? And I'm like, sure. I haven't thought about that stuff in so long. You know, I kind of I went to therapy for that and I feel like I worked through it and just like let it go. But, at, you know, the more I more I relived some of that stuff and seeing her documentary, like a lot of it, you know, they don't they didn't allow cameras inside, obviously, or, or else people would see the abuse. But she she had like an artist animate like some of the scenarios within that happened at Provo. And when I watched the documentary, like there, there was like a specific like padded cell area and 
when I saw the animated version of it, like all these thoughts kept coming back. And I, I, I was, I turned 16 years old in there. I was in there for, you know, over six months. And, and, and I was like, holy shit, I think that's when I started really drinking was when I got out. Uh, you know, where you're drinking not for fun, you're drinking to like escape your your mind. And and so, yeah, I think the drinking really started shortly after that, kind of in and out of it. And then once I got into my 20s and started filming a show in Miami, I really felt out of place. It wasn't a, it wasn't a happy working environment. And that's when I started like just going hard. It was like an everyday thing. I would wake up, drink, get high to keep going. And then to avoid the hangover, I would start it all over again. <laughs> and so it was a, a daily practice. I would have like, you know, days when I didn't, didn't have drugs and I would come down pretty hard and, you know, have suicidal thoughts and things like that. And then once I got my own show in LA, that's when it kind of just came to a head. It's so crazy though, because you were a tattoo artist from humble beginnings, from modest means, mm -hmm. and then you got propelled to this ridiculous level of fame. Like, did you anticipate that happening? Did you have like this belief that because of your talent or because of who you were, like in the back of your mind, you were like, well, I'm going to be a tattoo artist on this weird little show in Miami, but I know the Kat Von D brand is right around the corner. Like, was that in your head? No, absolutely not. I was... No, 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 no. I was, I was in like Finland tattooing, like all my favorite metal bands and getting wasted when they, they gave me the call about coming onto the show. And I just, you know, I didn't have a TV at the time or anything. And I had zero interest in being on TV. And I also was very confused. Like who would want to watch a TV show of people tattooing? That's like the most boring thing I've ever heard. Like we're just sitting there doodling for hours, but then, you know, they, they did a great job at storytelling, but I, I took, you know, I ended up signing contracts wasted without a lawyer and didn't realize I was kind of signing my life away. And I just did it all under the, the idea of, well, there wasn't that many female tattooers at the time and the ones that were around kind of sucked. <laughs> and I just was like, I should do this because I want to be a good representation of tattooing. And it was really just about the art. And I had no idea that it would propel me to where I am now, although I'm very grateful for it. And so, yeah, I, like I said, I always felt like an outsider. I never thought, you know, anybody would find me appealing. And, you know, I'm like, I have like a manly voice. I have bad posture. I don't dress like everyone else. And and somehow it, there was people out there that really related, I guess, and it just blew up. So I think there were some pressures from that that probably contributed to me delving more into my, you know, drug abuse and drinking. The, the unnatural pressure of, letting you know you don't want to let people down and but I, I quickly learned that you just can't please everybody you now what i when i was when i was young i had a tiny tv show like in manhattan like a little music show and i would interview bands and stuff and that's when i became addicted to heroin like to deal with insecurities to deal with worrying yeah. to deal with neuroses to deal with not not wanting to think about what I was going to say when I was on camera, that kind of stuff. Like, did you yeah. have, did you have that kind of experience when you were in Miami? You're like, no, no, you're a I, fucking I, idiot. I, 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 no, no, no. It's not that. It's just, I guess I've just like never felt like I had something to lose by being anything else other than myself. Like I've never been camera shy in a sense, like, if, but it's not, I've never been like driven by it. Like, like, Ooh, I want to be famous or I want people to know who I am. It was just more like, what you see is what you get. And I, that's, that's all I have. Like, you know, I, I don't know how to 
be anything else. So there was never any fear of, and maybe that was just from like that punk rock upbringing, you know, where you just don't give a fuck. And I think perhaps that authenticity is what people responded to, but no, I never, I don't, I don't think that was my case. You know, I was never like a nervous person or like self-conscious in that sense. I'm probably more self-conscious now as a, as a sober person. <laughs> that makes sense. What well, what was like, like, cause they took, you had a big blow up in Miami with one of the dudes and they're like, let's give her her own show at, at that point. Well, I think people, you know, they just see the, the edited scripted of course, version. Of course. But the reality was that I had already gotten my show and that was the main reason why the other cast member was so upset. I think he saw that like the ratings were, you know, because every every person on TV has their own individual rating. And so when the network saw that, like people were responding, the more screen time I had that eventually, you know, would replace his show. And I think that, you know, it felt very threatening to his ego. I'm assuming, you know, he's a pretty egoic person. But, you know, I just wanted to go back home. I never actually lived in Miami. They would just fly me to film. And so, you know, I had my life in L.A. and I missed it very much. And so I was just happy to get out and also my new contract nullified the old one which they owned you know my first board <laughs> well that was good what about yeah. just the using in that period like how crazy was it like how manageable was it just to be on a tv show doing really high-end art on people's bodies while fucked up kind of yeah i like i said i was pretty high functioning in the beginning i think uh, all the way up until i started my own show and then just things started falling apart on, on, you know, behind the curtains. Yeah. I don't know. I think, you know, I've always said like tattooing was a lifeline for me in a lot of ways, you know, it, it allowed me to like navigate through tough times, like, because it is pretty meditative, you know, when you're tattooing, at least for me, you know, I'm so hyper-focused on the, the very tip of a, a needle and, and executing something that to be as accurate as a portrait Everything, you know, the whole world could be crumbling and it wouldn't matter. I would just be in that moment. And I think that was good for me. You know, it, it kind of helped me get through a lot of those tough times. You know, I wasn't doing drugs while I was on camera. I would just film my my bit and then I would go home and get high. Yeah. So you wouldn't use before the show. You'd use after. I mean, if I was taking like an upper or something like that in the morning, but I wasn't, you know, actively drinking and getting high on camera or anything like that. Can you think of a fucked up story of that time that you might want to tell us a good, a good solid dopey story around the, <laughs> end, the end of your using career at LA Inc. I mean, it's kind of depressing, but good. I remember <laughs> good, you know, but, but it, it needs to get depressing for you to get out of it. You know, I mean, if, if not, sure. you would just do this forever until you die. But I remember like towards the end, uh, we would, ha we would go out all night and in LA, obviously the bars close around two. So we would use my tattoo shop as kind of like the after hours party. And I, I think, you know, I was pretty miserable inside, even though I was partying on the outside and we would come back to the shop and I would just destroy everything. We just had tons of bottles, anything that was breakable, anything glass, whatever. Me and my friends would just destroy it and laugh about it. And I think there, there might be some footage flying around of that somewhere that my friends have. And I remember like blacking out and waking up in the middle of the shop and on this like massage table that we used for tattooing. And I was just like surrounded by glass and I was barefoot, mostly naked and like thinking like, how am I going to get off of this island, you know? And like 
our housekeeper that would come and clean the shop once a week came in and he just like broomed a little pathway to, to where I was. And he just saw what a wreck I was. And he was just like, you know, I don't think you're okay. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm like physically destroying my life before me, you know? And it just took this total stranger to like, tell me what a fuck up I'd become. You know, that was kind of like the first indicator that I might have to make some changes. But yeah, I mean, I remember like my first time doing speed, for example, was on total accident. We would go to this strip club called Crazy Girls at the time. And, you know, we didn't really go for the girls because our drug dealers were there and we drink until we couldn't stand and then get high. And then I just remember at one point I was ragdolling it, you know, and some random stripper was like, I'll take you home. And I'm pretty sure she was probably just going to try to rob me or something. And I was like, I just got to get home because I have some Coke. And I know if I do some Coke, I'll be okay. And we get to my little shitty apartment and, you know, I was so drunk, I couldn't find anything. And she was like, don't worry, I have something, you know, and she, I just remember her pouring out a line and just, it just hurt so bad. I remember going like, oh, this is not my usual, <laughs> you know, that was like 40, 48 hours later, like, driving to the desert, just trying to kill this high that was like, I'm like, how could people do this every day? <laughs> I just I couldn't understand it. But, you know, it's just like that kind of, I guess, what I would consider loser behavior now, you know, it was like pretty pathetic. I thought it was like having fun. And in reality, it was just like desperateness, chasing more desperateness. And, and it's funny because not funny, but it's interesting. I'll get comments sometimes of people saying like, I want the old cat back, you know? And it's like, which cat like, is that? Like, which cat well, do they want back? I think they want like season one or something. <laughs> and, um, and to me, I'm like, why? Like, if you really knew how much pain I was in, you know, why would you want me to go back there? You know, I, I, I don't ever want to be that. I, I, I'll never be that person again. I know that in my heart, you know? So when they're saying that, that they want the old cat back and you're referring to season one cat, like what, like, cause everybody wants, like, I, I think about it all the time. You want to be like, if you could be on drugs and happy, joyous and free, like that would be great, but you can't be on drugs and happy, joyous and free. The two things just don't go together. It's like you yeah. can be happy, joyous and free, or you can be on drugs. And usually being on drugs, you get misery and enslavement and death and fucking poverty. Always. So like what, when they talk about season one cat, like what were they describing? I just think they probably are, you know, I was a lot wilder and, you know, I probably dressed crazier or whatever. Was it a more provocative cat, like drunk and like, like having fun? Probably. I mean, you know, yeah, I don't know. But, you know, I think that's part of growing up. Like, I don't, I don't want to be 21. Like, you know, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. I think, I think the real fans like to like go on your journey with you and they like to see you grow and become whoever you are. And I, I, I feel like I'm a pretty consistent person, you know, I, I, I feel like I kind of look the same, you know, for the most part, maybe a tiny bit more refined, but like, you know, it's still rough around the edges. <laughs> no, I get it. What was, so you described this guy who had to sweep away the glass for you to fucking get off the table. Like that sounds like the beginning of a bottom, but you've also said yeah. like you made a decision. You're like, fuck it. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to sacrifice my art or my work for this and I'm done. And that was just it. No, I mean, I, I, I mean, I remember the day that I got sober, the day that I got sober was I woke up to like a note from my boyfriend at the time. And, you know, he was like, 
I've dated a lot of assholes when he was one of the good ones. He was just, you know, he was actually sober. And I used to, I remember I used to make fun of him for it. And it, it pains me that I was that, but I just didn't, it's like, almost like, unless you go through it, you really don't understand it. Like what sobriety means. It's like, sure. it is a matter of life and death. And like, and if some people need to go to AA, like, you know, I, I personally don't, but like for those that need it and it helps them, like, that's great. You know, like, and I used to just, you know, was relentlessly like, punishing him all the time for it but i remember the morning that i woke up to like a letter from him and he was saying you know i i just can't do this anymore like you know after the way you acted and just the fact that i couldn't remember what happened so like i didn't know what to apologize for that was like when i i was like okay i gotta stop you know i, I I've, I've never made like personal amends with him because you know I, we didn't break up in in a in a nice cordial way and I'm sure he's doing great because he's a great guy. But, you know, I've made amends in my heart. Living amends. They call that yeah. living amends. Yeah. Now, how much coke were you doing at the end? An eight ball or more a day. So when you put it down, like, you didn't go to detox or treatment or anything. No, I, I basically, like, my boss at the time, he was, you know, a fellow tattooer. I always say his name is Clay Decker and he, he, he saved my life. And I don't think he, he, I've never told him this and he probably doesn't know this, but like, you know, my come down was pretty brutal. Like I literally couldn't scrape myself off the floor and I, I wanted to kill myself so badly, but didn't even have the energy to do that, you know? And I remember he came to my apartment and was like, cat, get up. We're going to go and draw. He just got me in the car and I went to the shop. He had like a little balcony above like, like his own personal private station. And we just started drawing together. Sometimes it just takes that one day, you know, to, if you can just get past the, that, you know, the or first few days, it, it gets better, you know, but man, the first few days are always, I think the hardest, totally. but no, I, I, I've never, aside from visiting my friends in rehab, I've never, you know, gone to one. Well, good for myself. you. It, it sounds like that day, you were like, wait a second, I can have fun and I can be into something and I don't need to be fucked up. And like, that was probably inspiring. Maybe. I don't know if I, if I had my mind wrapped around it as clearly as that. I just knew I can't do this anymore. You know, that's all like, you know, I just, I don't know what, how, but I just can't do this anymore. And you never went to meetings. That was never part of the story. I went to meetings with, you know, when people in my life, we're going through it, but I just, you know, I don't ever want to talk shit about AA because I love the big book. I, I think, I think everybody would benefit from doing the steps, even if you're not doing drugs, but I think I have a problem with certain meetings, not having like the anonymous part in there, you know, and at the time was like Twitter days. I remember, and I would go to meetings with friends and people would tweet about it. And so I just stopped going. I, I know that there are more private meetings, like people have like smaller meetings at their homes and things like that. And I just, I don't know. I've always been kind of a lone wolf about things. Like I don't like group therapy. I like to just have one-on-one. -on -one. And so I just did the, the steps on my own. I just, you know, read the book and worked through things on my own. And that, that worked better for me. But but there's some people that need it. Some people need to go three times a day and that, that works for them. I, I, I like to think of like, you know, where's the 13th step when you can move the fuck on? You know, I don't consider myself an addict. And I know that this is something that people in AA don't agree with. A lot of them, you know, the thing like you're an addict for life. It's like, no, I'm sober. 
I, I don't, I, I know myself at this point, there is no other option. You know, I look at my, my child and I'm like, sorry, that's like a hard no. Like, it doesn't matter how bad it gets. Like I, this is the time where we need to be the clearest. And, you know, I don't, I don't get the temptations that some people get. Like if it's around me, I just want it the fuck away from me. Like as far as drugs go. Drinking, I can be around people drinking. Unless you're like a, a drunk, Stupid, I just can't right. be around you. Right. right. <laughs> so I, I got sober in 12 steps and I don't know that I quote unquote needed it, but I, but it saved my life. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. but if I had been famous, like if I had a fucking tattoo show in New York city, I don't, th I don't think it would have worked out for me either. Although yeah. there were a lot of famous people at a bunch of the meetings I went to. Oh I, yeah. I think I went to. I think I went to early, like really early morning meetings or maybe the meetings that I went to were respectful or maybe New York yeah. city is more respectful than Los Angeles. I don't know. Yeah, Listen, LA, it's like, it's full of actors and, and famous people. So like, that's the part that I think that like some people go to meetings just to like, you know, be elbow seen. to elbow with somebody. Right. And it's not necessarily about sobriety, Horrible. which at the same time, like, Hey, if that gets you there, that's cool. But like, I just think that's kind of like a, a false, you're just replacing an addiction with something else. But like I said, I think, I think like, you know, most of my famous sober friends, they go to private meetings at people's houses. They're not trying to engage in that, like the social aspect of it, I guess. The fellowship, um, they call it the fellowshipping. Yeah. I hear you. And I, I mean, like the way I look at all of it is like, if you're having a nice life, like perfect. You know what I mean? If you, and if yeah. you need program, great. If program didn't serve you and you found something else, great. You know, it's like, it's working for you. So it's not like you better go to a meeting, Kat Von D. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, fuck it. You know, it's all working. Yeah. It's annoying. Yeah, I have like 15 years under my belt at this point. So I'm like, if I haven't learned the lesson by now, like, come on. But you know, people, <laughs> don't you know anyone that's had 15 years and went out? Yeah. It's like, and what, and, and like, or I know people that have had 30 years and have gone out and it's like, holy shit. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, I don't like, I'm not tempted to use. I don't like, I, I don't, you know, I'm like you, I, I'm not around people on drugs ever. Yeah. Once in a while I'm around people drinking and it annoys me. And if it gets beyond annoying, I leave. You know what I Same. mean? And, and I'm not Same. interested in being in that situation because there's nothing I can really do except leave. Yeah. That's my only real yeah. move. But like, exactly. This is the thing. When you say you're about to, you, you just celebrated 15 years, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like when you know, people get 15 years and fuck up. I mean, like I'm not in, insinuating that you are going to fuck it up, but like, how do you yeah. like make peace with that in your head? I just, I think it's, I just know myself. And I think like, I, like there's certain things at my core that I know I'm like, so to me, I just see it as not an option. Like when I got pregnant, I, you know, I was smoking, like I, I was, I was smoking. I didn't know I was pregnant. The minute I found out I was pregnant, I just stopped. Like there's no other option. And that's just, and, and for some people it's not, it's not so cut and dry. You know, like I said, there's some people that need that constant support and that they're not able to be in certain scenarios without gambling. And for me, it's like, I've been around those since I've been sober. I just know myself. It's like not, you know, I mean, I can't tell the future obviously, but if I had to bet like my life on it, I would. <laughs> no, I hear you. Do you miss, do you miss smoking cigarettes at all? Um, no, I still go back on and off on cigarettes. Nice. We had like, I, I did really good after I had my kid. I was, I didn't smoke for, you know, I started smoking. When I was 12 years old. So, and then like, I started 
really smoking like, you know, a pack a day when I was 14. So like, that's kind of been a very consistent, I, I think that's like my only real substance or whatever. I, I don't, I don't consider it a, dr- a drug in that sense, but like, I still think I'm sober, but we had like a, a really crazy break in not too long ago here at the house. And, you know, the, probably the scariest experience I've had in my entire life. And that kind of pushed me to to smoke cigarettes again, but I just go on and off now. Yeah. I, I mean, at my meetings, I stand near the smokers because I want to, mm-hmm. I want to vicariously, through them. Yeah, I wanna vicariously <laughs> smoke through them. I have one last question before we go. Yeah. It's not a, Make very, it a good one. It's not that good a question. <laughs> okay. Uh, when, when you went, because you, you were drinking heavy and you're doing Coke heavy and, and it seems yeah. like you had some speed meth experiences. Mm-hmm. Did you ever want, like when I think of those drugs, all I can think of is pills, benzos. Like I fucking mm. lived for them. Did you have any yeah. benzo? No, nah, you know, I never, you deal? I never, I never went to your side of the railroad tracks. I was like, like, I was always like, I want to get shit done. So the idea of any downers, I was like, ugh, I can't. That's why like pot never really appealed to me. Like I, I just, I had friends that would eat that shit like candy and I just never understood it, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I was, I was, I was that. Friend. But I also knew like with heroin, I was like, oh, I'm never like, I just know I would love it way too much. I'm not even going to try that. Like, you know, that's just, uh, I'll, I'll kill myself, you know. And you're fucking moving to Indiana to a haunted mansion in Indiana. And you've never, and you never lived in Indiana. Like, no, you're just like, one. no, to- and you know, I, I found this house basically because I love Victorian houses and this house in particular I've always had my eye on, but it was operating as a bed and breakfast for years. And then when it went on the market, I was like, I told my husband, let's just go, let's just see it. I just want to see it. You know, I, aside from being on tour in Indiana, I have no idea about that state at all. Like, and all my friends who live in Indiana, like they've never heard of this little tiny town because it's in the middle of nowhere. And we went there and we just loved it. We, we just feel like there's just so much nature. You're right on the Ohio river. It's got like 14 acres of land and it just, that is appealing to us. You know, we, I've lived in LA and Hollywood, like a majority of my life and I'm good, you know, like I've still, we'll still have like a place out here to come. Cause I have like my studio and all my bands out here and stuff. So we always make music out there and I kind of don't really want to bring LA out there. I want to kind of keep that separate, but yeah, we're excited. We're just waiting to sell the house here and then we'll move. See, I also think that's interesting. Like I'm, I'm like an amateur musician and I, I always wanted to be in a band and I was in a band when I was a kid and we had a tiny deal and it was n- and nothing ever happened. But then like when file sharing happened and people weren't making millions, like my, yeah. my dream kind of like was like, eh, you're not, you know, I lost, I lost my, my, my dream of being in a band, but you went for being in a band after the all the greed of money making and rock and roll celebrity was over. Like will, will rock and roll celebrity come back Kat Bundy? I don't know. You know, I think the way that I always approach things is like, does it make my heart sing? Like I, you know, when I got into tattooing, I didn't get into tattooing because I thought I was going to be on TV. I did it before TV shows when it was like not cool to tattoo when you were like throwing your life away. You know, I just knew in my heart, that's what I wanted to do. And music has always been there alongside that. And so, you know, I had a makeup line that was extremely successful. I did that for 12 years and I was probably happy the first, you know, seven to eight years of that. And then after that, it just got so big that it became so corporate that I was like, you know, I lost creative control over a lot of stuff. I'm like, this isn't really filling my cup anymore. And I just saw that like, 
everybody was coming out with a makeup line and I was like, Oh, the piece of the pie is getting smaller. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to cash out while it's hot, you know? And then I can really focus on my music, which is what I wanted to do. You know, I think, I think at the end of the day, it's obviously, you know, we want to make a means to an end and, you know, maybe I'm choosing the heart hard route because, you know, music, it's not like there's money in it now in certain ways, you know, but it's, I don't, I'm not doing it cause I, I want to, I'm doing it cause I have to, like it's in me and I want to, you know, release these thoughts and, and songs that are in my mind and share them with my fans. So if it becomes a success and I think it, it has been pretty successful, then that's like icing on the cake, you know? Totally. Um, and you're having but fun. I, I think if you go into anything going like, I need to be famous or I need to like do this, it's like, you're already, you already killed the magic, you know? Right. But, right. Luckily I had, I see when I did dopey, when we did dopey, we had both thoughts in our head. Number one, that it would be nothing to anybody. And number two, yeah. that it would be everything to everybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the same thought at the same time, even though they were diametrically opposed. Um, and they're both true, you know, well, <laughs> like one is more true. One is more true than what the I'm other. Saying is that like people respond to like, you know, when I released my music, like there were certain singles that I was like, wow, like people were responding to certain lyrics that like, I don't personally feel that way anymore. Cause I wrote those songs 10 years ago, but I, I know what it feels like to, to, to feel less than nothing or to, to be alone in a relationship. And it's like, Oh, like that's just so, well, I mean, I guess, cause I'm such a huge music fan that like, to me, there's like certain songs that are like soundtracks to my life. You know, I would tattoo those lyrics on me, you know? And I'm like, well, like tattoo, I've been tattooing people one-on-one -on -one and giving them that experience on an intimate level. And, and through music, I'm able to do that like in a bigger way and like, and it's or a broader way. And I love that. I think it's cool. And, you know, I think what you're doing is, is really awesome too. I mean, we can obviously laugh about like the crazy times, but if it makes people out there feel less alone, I think there's like a bigger picture to it. And I think that's something to be proud of. Well, I appreciate that. Did you have a good time? Was this a nice hour? I did. I hopefully I wasn't too boring. I'm sure other people have like crazy stories. <laughs> Listen, Kat, Kat Von D, I'm sure you have crazy stories in there as well. And when you come back, you will tell the worst drug stories that ever happened. No, I think you were great. You were super fun. And I really appreciate awesome. you, you coming on. Okay. All right. Let's do it again sometime. So that was Kat Von D. And uh, I wanted her to be on the show for a long time because, like, uh, she seemed like a very famous addict in recovery uh, person. So I was psyched that she came on. But you know what I wasn't psyched about, Aurora? What's that? I had to cut a bit out. Do you want to hear about this? Yeah, why? What is it? All right. So all I really wanted to talk about was Kat Von D as an anti-Semite. Because for years, everybody was talking about Kat Von D is an anti-Semite. And me being such a, 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 a stalwart Jewish person, I needed to, to find out the truth. And she said she's not an anti-Semite. But then <laughs> after the show, she asked the booker for me to take it out of the show. So that's out of the show. I'm still thinking about calling the show Kat Von D is not an anti-Semite. And we're definitely doing a Patreon episode where I play her answering that question. What were you about to say? Do you think, do you think that um, it's just really painful for her? Like, and that's why she wants it out. I just don't think she wants the word anti-Semite and Kat Von D to come out of the mouth at the same time anymore. I think she's tired. Of well, that. who? Yeah. Well, who does? The answer is Kanye West. 
He does. Right. He loves right. being an anti-Semite. Have you noticed what's yeah. happened with him? It's costing him a lot of money. I, I mean, you don't think it's part of some master plan to sell Yeezy sneakers on his own where Adidas doesn't get a cut? Um, I don't know. I mean, is that what you think is going on? Well, I think he's mentally ill and he hates Jews and he loves Hitler. Um, but I, I saw that there was, um, there was one thing I saw online that was pretty powerful that there's like, that there are 15 million Jews worldwide and Kanye has 18 million followers. I think he has, th- his- he has, he has 30 million Twitter followers and there's 15 million Jews. It's fucked up. That that's a really scary thing. Like that is scary. Well, I think the thing that people, people don't realize how few Jews there are, number one. And number two, they don't realize what it means to be, to be a Jewish person and have somebody who's so famous decide that they think Jews are bad. <laughs> like that's scary. That's a bad position to be in as a Jewish person. And it's k- kind of kicked off the Holocaust. Right. It probably kicked off the Spanish Inquisition, too, or wherever else they killed Jews. They killed Jews in the Spanish Inquisition, right? Yes, I think so. Well, I'm no history major. Dopey, dopey nation, if we're wrong, please school us. Please don't tell us. <laughs> I don't want to know about it if we're wrong. <laughs> Aurora, what, what, what is your... I don't, do you think, I mean, do you think this is the end of Kanye? Is Kanye getting canceled now? No, I don't think so. I mean, maybe. I don't know. You, you, you're more of a news person than I am, and you're more entrenched in the yeah. entertainment community. So why don't you tell me? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely hurting him. I mean, he's lost all these sponsorships and his agent. Um, you know, but but he might buy Parler, this right-wing social media site. So, I mean, and with Elon taking over Twitter yesterday, I mean, there's definitely a backlash like against you know, being canceled, even for being anti-Semitic. So he, he definitely, Kanye definitely has an audience here in the United States and, and quite a large one too, that, you know, want to revel in these, uh, in anti-Semitism. So, well, do you, do you think public, any kind of defamation of any other people would be acceptable publicly? Like black people, so and so and so, like that is your take, or Spanish people are evil, or or like whatever he's. I mean, he basically said Jews are evil. I mean, didn't Trump in 2015, 2016, when he was running, say like Mexicans were like, you know, murderous, drug dealing, like, you know, he said terrible things about Mexicans. So it, it's like, yeah, that, that stuff does happen. Um, it's a grim oh. it, it's a grim moment and it's a grim moment in in dopey that we're going down this path. But you Aurora worked on a, on reality TV and specifically you worked on on tattoo shows. What was the show you worked on? Yeah, I worked on Ink Master for a season and some um, Kat Von D's ex-boyfriend was one of the judges and then he eventually had to step down from being a judge on Ink Master because photos surfaced of him in blackface. Wow. Look at all these fucking racist tattoo people. It's unbelievable. (laughs) Um, But I don't know that, you know, I don't know that Kat Von D is a racist or anti-Semite, you know, we don't know. No, she said she's not, she's neither a racist nor an anti-Semite. I was talking about Kanye. Do you have any tattoos, Aurora? Hell no. Mm -mm. 
And are you a racist or yeah. anti-Semite? <laughs> no, I'm not. Do you think that's a coincidence? Uh, yes, I do. Now, yeah. now, as a person who worked... I don't think they're related, Dave. As a person who worked in reality television on tattoo-type shows, did you have any insight to Kat Von D on this one? You know, just that her ex-boyfriend was one of the judges. That was the only insight that I had. And I think I maybe some people I worked with worked on her tattoo show as well. Um, but I, you know, the, I only worked on that for one season. It was not um, the right fit for me. So I did not return. But I do have many good friends who worked on that show for many seasons. Um, and, you know, really uh, got into that world. Of racists and anti-Semites? Of tattoos. Now, the tattoo. I've, Aurora and I have been working on this episode for probably four weeks now. And uh, (laughs) a lot, a lot has happened this last week. And um, I just want to talk about it for a second. On, uh, on Monday, I think, or maybe Tuesday, Susan got very sick and she threw up in her bed and I had to sleep with her. And in the middle of the night, I went in the throw up. I didn't sleep in the throw up. She threw up before I had to sleep with her, but she woke up throwing up. It's terribly scary because, like, that's how Jimi Hendrix died. But, right. but of course, Susan wasn't on barbiturates and alcohol, so she <laughs> survived. And I went to the bathroom, and uh, and my other daughter, Nora, as anybody who listens to the show knows, she's been using uh, and, what? Do you know that sometimes I? daydream about going back in time and that I was able to like, like rub shoulders with Jimi Hendrix and kind of like infiltrate his inner circle and like stop his death from happening. (laughs) Well, this is, this is an interesting tangent. Tell me more. (laughs) I mean, I have that fantasy about a lot of different people that I could go back in time and like stop people's deaths or like, you know, I go back in time and like stop the Golden State Killer from killing, or that like I show up at Jimmy's like you know a famous like Woodstock and I'm there, like there singing every lyric and Jimmy's like who is this you know woman some transfixed and then I'm like and then I get Jimmy I get I get Jimmy sober and then he doesn't die. That's amazing. You know, uh, do you ever have those fantasies? No, I don't. But uh, I do have a recollection of when uh, it was I was living on Grand Street, right? And uh, and it it was the the last night. I think it was before I got sober, like the last night, and I was crazy. And you were over there, and um, I was not well. I remember sitting on the balcony, and I was bugged out, and I was not doing well, and. Uh, we were, I don't know what we were doing, but we were listening to music and we were probably getting high and the movie or the, the song sunshine Superman by Donovan came on. Right. And, uh, mm-hmm. and you start walking away from me and you did some weird sixties dance to yourself that you didn't even know that I could see you doing. And, uh, I think you would have fit in well in the, in the sixties. I think you're a real Austin powers type, uh, you could have been a real character. <laughs> and I think that could have been a TV show. Like Aurora goes back uh, to the past to, to right the, the wrongs, to fix things. Like it's like a quantum leap kind of show. Right. I go to, I go to Jimmy. I go to Janice. I go to Kurt Cobain. I, I go around 
I can't believe you actually daydream about stuff like this. Is this true or is this yeah. a bit that you've been working on? No, no, I swear to God, it's true. All right. So back to the story. I went to get uh, something, medicine for Susan. And I guess I stepped in this super silky hair straightening product that was on the floor. And I go back uh, and I give Susan her medicine. And then I go downstairs and my feet have this super silky chemical on it. And I slipped on the stairs. I probably was midair and I landed on my back on the steps. Fucked. Just fucked. And my back is still all fucked up. I have like bruises all over my back. And then later that day, Susan got pneumonia. She was dying. So it's been a rough week over here. It's not been an easy, easy week. And I was thinking about God's will. What's your take on God's will? Um, I think like I, I said this before, I think like the hardest AA prayer for me to ever remember is thy will be done. Like the most simple one is like one that I think I probably had four or five years before I could even like recall it, you know, or reach for it. Um, you know, and I think, uh, but I do find the 11th step, like, you know, what do you pray for? Um, you know, the knowledge of God's will for me and the power to carry it out. Like, I like how simple, like that direction is like, and when you're searching for something to pray for, um, because like pneumonia can kill people. And I was scared. Like I wanted to pray that God not let Susan die, but then that's not how my belief of God works. Like, I don't think you pray for somebody not to die. And I don't think, and I think Jimi Hendrix was meant to die. And I think Janis Joplin was meant to die. And that was God's will, you know, because it happened. God's will is what happens, is is my understanding. Um, although, you know, Better Call Paul, my old sponsor, said that God's will is just doing the next right thing and serving God. But I don't want to go down the crazy AA path. I don't, I mean, I think it's just too, for me, like I like to think about people's life and death and like just frame it in God's will is never, is not a comfort. It's like, it's the opposite of comforting, you know, that's really like a, you know, to say something like someone dying is God's will is just, I, I don't, it's not something that I think is helpful for people. Or for me. So you think what's better is, oh, they're in a better place now. Yeah, something something that gives, like, kind of a more peace, you know, more solace. Then, oh, that was God's will. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think I think no matter what, when, when we lose somebody, it's rough. Now, I have choices for you, okay? We have choices right now, Aurora. Do you want to hear the email about the kid who died on the show? Or have you ever seen the, the movie School of Rock? Yes. Well, do you remember? A long time ago. There's a character in the movie. She was the bass player. She was probably 10 years old when they did the movie. Now she's a, she's a famous LGBTQ person in recovery. And she has a movie coming mm -hmm. out. And I told her I would put an ad for her movie on the show if she sent in a dopey story. And she did. So you want to hear her dopey story real quick? What's the story with the person that died? We'll do that one afterwards. Let's do this one first. All right, let's hear them both. All right, thank you. Hi, my name's Riv. And back in the days when I used to do drugs um, and drink alcohol, I uh, was willing to go to any lengths to get drugs and alcohol. 
So sometimes that included going to little parties in Sherman Oaks where a guy would uh, pay me money to do weird sex stuff with him and he would also give me coke and molly in return um he would mix it together and call it kokomo and um one of the times i went over there i did some of this said kokomo and because the product was so strong and you know I was also a stoner, so I had had some in and out before I went over to this party, um, did the Kokomo, and I did in fact shit myself. Um, luckily, you know, a good hoe always brings back up clothes and underwear, so I was able to dispose of them. Um, I did just like open a window and throw them outside and sure they were found much much later but pretty gross pretty gnarly yeah it was just one of those moments where I had to be like excuse me I will be right back and I'm uh, grateful to be sober to this day yeah I think that story doesn't need much more detail well I don't think she felt good about doing that afterwards what do you think Rory did I ever tell you the story about when I shit myself? I wasn't even high. Oh, my God. What happened? I was sick. I'd been sick for a few days, and I thought I was better. And I went uptown. I was going to get my hair done at my friend's very, very, very fancy salon on Madison Avenue. It was like Madison and 80-something. And, you know, where the one percenters go. And I was outside the salon and I just, it just happened. And I was like uh, horrified. And thank God I went, I went in, I told him what happened. I went into the bathroom for like 30 minutes. I had some like dirty gym. I had gone to the gym in the morning. So I had my gym clothes with me. So I had to like wash everything out in the sink and put my like damp gym clothes on. And then he did my hair. How much did you shit yourself? Was it just like a fart that turned out to be shit or was it like major? It it was like between the two. It was like between the two. I never thought you'd come with a story like that on dopey. (laughs) I I wasn't even high. I was sick. No, I feel like I shit myself on Madison Avenue and Malkior was doing my hair. Well, there you go. I, I bet Malky was someplace shitting himself right now. <laughs> Fucking, uh, I, I feel like I shit myself kind of recently going into my dad's to do work. I thought I, I thought I was gonna, I was gonna fart, and it turned out it wasn't just a fart. It just happened. <laughs> it was really, it was really, it was horrible. Like I, I, I threw away. I did what what this what any good hoe does. I threw the underwear out the window and then I, I took my jeans and I scrubbed them with, with dishwashing detergent. Scrubbed What them. do you mean you threw your undies out the out window? Out the fucking window. Fuck that shit. That's what you do. No, That's I, disgusting. No, I, no, I didn't throw them out the window. Stop it. I washed them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I washed them. But, but, but Rivka Reyes, you know, she threw her underpants out the window. And I, there's a bunch of things. Rivka's story was very, was very quick. But I, I liked a lot of things about it. First of all, that she's a big Hollywood star that, uh, or, you know, a, a Hollywood star. And she wanted to tell this shitting herself story. Number one, I commend her for that. 
Kokomo. Kokomo sounded pretty good. Yeah, number two, Kokomo. It sounds amazing. <laughs> Coke and Molly. I've never heard of that. Have you? No, but sign me up. I mean, no, yes. Right? <laughs> never heard of it. See, Kokomo, like the idea of Molly is that it's the molecule of MDMA. So like if you're putting Coke with, it's like some kind of Cokey ecstasy, like up, 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 uppy ecstasy. I always loved the dopey ecstasy. I feel like that was part of the name of dopey is like we always love the ecstasy to be dopey. Um, but I love putting the names together. Can you think of any drugs or combinations of drugs or, or nicknames for drugs that you did back in the day? Do you have any? Oh, gosh. Let me think a minute. When, okay. when we lived in North Hollywood, um, in order to destigmatize my terrible benzo addiction, I got Todd and Jeremy to call Xanax Relaxo so it seemed friendlier <laughs> to them. And we'd be like, let's, right. let's get Relaxo. So that was a thing. Um, I can't think of another one. Kokomo is a great nickname for drugs, though. I can't, I, the kill, you know, I can't, that's all I can really think of. Yo, the other day, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I still obviously am working at Katz's and, uh, I'm, I'm kind of supervising or, or coordinating these different catering events. And my guy, one of my number one cutting guys is named Jose and he always gets high before and after the gig. And, uh, I'm talking to him after the gig the other day. And uh, we're going over the gig, and I hear someone coughing in the background, and I was like, who's that? And he's like, yo, it's Lenny. And it was fucking Lenny was with him, wasted in the background, coughing, and they were going down to a swanky dispensary on the Lower East Side that has, like, a little, like, clubhouse to get high in. Do you remember when you and I had the idea to open, like, a very... Yes, um, break it down, Aurora. Very very high-end like weed dispensary we wanted it like um you know like almost like a like a high-end restaurants and and like the vibe it was all about the vibe right it was we all gonna, gonna be bl some blonde wood right the whole yes. place was gonna be very, done very in scandinavian design blonde wood and the dank would be a plenty Oh man, we had. But it would be very, very curated dank. There was actually just—I think there was just an article in the New York Times about this, about dispensaries that are that have that kind of, you know, a high-end look and where people can kind of hang and feel like real fucking bougie connoisseurs. We used to be real bougie connoisseurs, Aurora. Yeah. Do you ever miss being a bougie connoisseur? Yes. How often do you, would you say you miss uh, the dank and being a bougie connoisseur of said dank? Maybe once every three months. You know, there's this spot near my dad's house. I think I've talked about it on the show a number of times. It's called Cannabis Culture, and it's like two blocks south of Penn Station, like Madison Square Garden. And it's like... They have everything, you know, and you could tell like it was a smoke shop, like a, a bong store that like saw legalization and they ran with it and they're open at like eight in the morning and the smells that come out of there are, are just awesome, you know, great smells. And, and I have to say it crosses my mind almost every time I walk past it that I could walk in there and be like, what's the purplest thing you have kind of thing, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and, yeah. uh, and, and I think about it, but 
And this is just like, it might be that my workaholism has overtaken my drug addiction. All I can think about if I did it was I would not be able to do the things that I like to do now. Like I wouldn't be able to get my work done and I wouldn't be able to be clear headed and it would ruin my day. And I wouldn't be able to like deal with my family in a nice way. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't be good. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be like it was, you know? Um, I still have the fantasy of getting old though. You know, the, the 75 year old rocking chair, iced bong, almond brothers scenario. Right. Right. So getting old and stony. I like that. It sounds, it sounds appealing. I, I used to yell at you for it. No, I'm like, I, but I don't, I think, uh, yeah, we've done it. I've lived it. I've been there. I did it. Things have changed. You know, now I do. I think about my family like I wouldn't want to jeopardize that. Exactly. I mean, let me ask you another question. You know, with service, right? You know how like people say that if you do service, I, I hear this a lot at my meeting and you were raised in a good Catholic household, so you might actually agree with it. The idea of if you do service and you tell people about it, it makes it less spiritually good. Mm, I don't agree. I don't know. I like I like I shared earlier. Like, uh, why am I going to meetings right now? It's not from a place of like, you know, being devoted to the AA program or wanting to like, you know, fix my spirituality. It's because like I need to get out of the fucking house. So sometimes I don't think like it really matters like what the motive is and that the reasoning has to be righteous. Like if it gets you out of yourself, if it gets you helping others, like it's that's good that it doesn't diminish your acts of service because you tell someone about it. Like, you know, do you want to look at your ego and your pridefulness? Sure. Like, but I don't think if you tell people that you're doing service, that it negates that. I agree. And, and we, uh, for DopeyCon, one of the the old school hardcore dopes named Austin. Austin was one of the few people that was not only at the first DopeyCon, he participated in the second DopeyCon, and he was at the third DopeyCon. But Austin has a, a career around uh, you know helping addicts and stuff, and he brought like I don't know two hundred and fifty uh, things of Narcan. So we gave out a bunch of Narcan at DopeyCon, but we didn't give out nearly enough because he gave us this giant box of Narcan. So if anyone needs some Narcan, just message me and I'll mail it to you. But Linda posted it on, um, you know, all the local Facebook groups and shit, like who wants Narcan. So she came up with this long list and I went out delivering Narcan yesterday. I was like going door, door to door in suburbia listening to music, delivering Narcan. And I, I had a really fun time doing it and not necessarily because I was maybe part of it was like the idea of being of service, but it was also nice not to think about anything. Just put a bunch of locations in on the phone and drive and listen to music. And then like, I'm just, I'm like the paper boy d- d- delivering the Narcan. And, um, I got home from my meeting today and there was this woman at our house and uh, she wanted to pick up Narcan, and she has two adult addicts living in her house. They're her children, and she won't kick them out, and she was just so miserable and and just trying to get uh, help. It sucks. Addiction is the worst because there's nothing you can do for anybody, right? 
Oh my God. That is awful. What? Yeah. No, I mean, just like the thought of that woman coming to get Narcan and she's got two adult children and she feels really powerless and helpless to like help them. Well, she was like, she was like, my son is 42. He's on Suboxone and Xanax. And, uh, and I was like, you got to get him out of the house. And she's like, well, what will he do? And I was like, well, he won't get high in your house. Um, I don't know. Like I, I, I'm kind of old school like that. Like you shouldn't keep an ad, you shouldn't keep an addict in the house and then expect them to stop using. Like it just doesn't happen. I, I mean, I, I have a friend whose husband is an active addict, and I think, yeah, until until he loses something of consequence, if you keep enabling him, he's not going to stop using. Exactly. Now I want to read you this email. Are you with me? Yeah. So there was this kid who was on the show a long time ago. His name was Andrew, and um, he was a dopey intern, and he he had called in. He'd left a bunch of messages, and he called into the show when Chris was alive, and um, and then he wound up becoming our first intern, and he died the next day, right? He overdosed and died the next day. And I got this email that says, a too-long email thank you from hippie hobo Andrew's old friend. And uh, he writes, Hey Dave, I came across your podcast a long time ago and saved a few episodes to my library. I'm sure on one of my hunts for addiction and recovery-related listening material, I kind of forgot about it. Maybe because I was most interested in recovery-focused materials, even though it can admittedly be very trite and saccharine and indulgent. But a couple of weeks ago, I found myself scrolling through archived episodes of Dopey. It was early in the morning in some random shitty hotel in eastern Oklahoma where I was staying for a work assignment. The words Andrew's mom and then hippie hobo Andrew in a few titles caught my eye and I started to get a weird feeling. One of my best friends from college, Andrew, could certainly be described as hippie hobo and I've actually been in touch here and there via text with his wonderful mom since he died of a drug overdose years ago. I plugged Andrew into the podcast search bar and pulled up the relevant episode descriptions and dates and quickly realized that it was indeed my friend Andrew, and you and Chris interviewed him practically a week before he died. My stomach dropped. I couldn't believe it. It took me a few days to build up the courage to listen to his interview and Kim's, and Kim was his mother, but I'm glad I did. It was cathartic. I can't get over how strange and improbable it was for me to just randomly stumble upon Andrew's voice in the giant expanse of internet chaos. It was nice to hear him talk about huckleberries and the farm in Idaho, and it reminded me that I'd like to go visit it as I don't live too far away. I think he would have been very intrigued by my current job as a wildland firefighter. I wish he was alive so I could tell him about adventures in the wilderness and the strange anthropology of wildland fire crews and methods for setting the woods on fire. Andrew was one of my first and closest friends at college. He was amazing and brilliant, and he's one of a handful of people whose perspective and personality changed my life. I want to say for better and for worse, but I don't know if it's useful to make that distinction. So I'll instead say that he made my life more rich and complex and meaningful, even though that it ended up entailing some painful, uncomfortable experiences alongside the joyful, comical ones. We did a lot of dopey, story-worthy things together my freshman year. 
By the way, I've been binge listening to the podcast since rediscovering it through the Andrew episodes. We and three other friends did an epic week-long road trip along the Pacific Coast uh, the fall of our freshman year of college. All of us crammed into a single sedan to the beach and the redwoods and then up to Nevada's vast and empty Black Rock Desert where we went on a dark, stumbling adventure that involves a lot of LSD, MDMA, Kokomo, Kokomo, no, I'm just kidding, and nitrous oxide. (laughs) Uh, We stared at the stars and walked on the train tracks and watched the Technicolor Desert sunrise. We reckoned with infinity and argued about good and evil and then ate McDonald's for breakfast. Dusty and strung out, not quite children, but certainly not adults either. This is very beautiful. Andrew also introduced me to heroin, but I would have found it anyway. I was young and determined to experience what I still naively saw as romantic done by the most interesting and intelligent people. Total horseshit, it turns out. If you're not already boring and dumb when you start using opiates, they tend to eventually have that effect on people. At least they did for me. I haven't done hard opiates for years, but I've managed to find a whole new demon in the substance kratom. It won't kill me like heroin or fentanyl would, but I found it much harder to put down than other real opiates, and I've been abusing it for so long that it's wreaking havoc on my physical and mental health. Stimulants have also been a persistent issue for me, so with all the recent buzz about psychedelic medications and therapies and after numerous failed quit attempts, I've finally made the decision to go to Mexico for Ibogaine treatment. That may have actually been how I rediscovered your podcast now that I mention it. I was looking for stories and information concerning Ibogaine, and I know you've got a few episodes that touch on it. So maybe there was something special and serendipitous about the fact that my search somehow led me to Kim and Andrew. I literally just made the deposit on treatment a couple of hours ago, which I'm not even sure I can responsibly afford. I'm scared and excited and desperate and hopeful. I'm ready to be free, and you know to see if being clean is all it's cracked up to be. I'm doing lots of other recovery-related work to prepare for and integrate the treatment, therapy, meetings, yoga, blah, 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 other middle-class white girl things that Andrew and I would have once rolled our eyes at a long time ago. We were dumb, and I'll let you know how it goes if you're interested. I have so much more to say, but I'll end it here since this is already obnoxiously long. I just wanted to tell you, let you know, let you all know that. Thanks for putting Andrew's voice into the ether for me to find when I needed it. Thanks for all you're doing in the world. Toodles, Dove. Um, I love that email. I had to read it. That was incredibly touching. I like teared up. That was beautiful. I know. And I want to hear about Dove's Ibogaine treatment coming up in Mexico. Uh, just next time, Dove, write a shorter email. It's too long. It's too long. Dove sounds ready to get sober. That's exciting. So on a scale of one to 10, Aurora, how would you say uh, being clean is versus not being clean? I think it's a 10. Really? A solid 10? I mean, I have a new life. I mean, you can't, I mean, it's hard to like, it's hard to, um, what do I want to say here? I don't know. I mean, it doesn't always feel like a 10, right? Like, well, this is for Dove. This is for Dove. Dove wants to know if getting clean is all it's cracked up to be. I'm going to say it is because you've, because I think Aurora, you said it best before you've done the other thing. The other thing is done. There's nothing new coming down the pike. Although all this psychedelic 
therapy sounds intriguing to me. I don't know about you, Aurora. Are you intrigued by psychedelic therapy or no? No way, because I was psychedelically distraught. So like psychedelics like only heighten my anxiety. They don't help it. Yeah, I wish I wasn't <laughs> so intrigued by psychedelic uh, therapy. But we'll leave that. I mean, I think, you know, when I got sober, I said, all right, I've been getting high for, you know, 23 years. Like, what's life going to be like sober? And I'm almost seven years into that journey. And, you know, I just I look forward. I look forward to getting more time to like having 20 years sober and kind of look back on the two lives. I mean, so far, it's been amazing being sober. It's not always like that pink cloud experience. It's not always a 10, but I just think that everything, my life has changed a lot in the last seven years and it's been all good. And that's because of being sober. All right. That's a good, I think that's a good uh, answer to Dove's question. Now, before we go, you know, I, I wanted this whole episode to be about the Game of Thrones spin-off show House of the yeah, Dragon. We haven't even devoted any fucking time to to uh House of Dragon. All right, well this is this is the time. You know, I, I want it to be a sneak preview because there will be a Patreon episode with Aurora and I battling each other on the uh the the whatever we think about House of the Dragon. So Aurora, the house the season is over. What's your take? My quick take is that I really enjoyed it. Um, it scratched that itch for me of that Game of Thrones, uh, you know, left the void that was left. Um, did I love everything about it? No, but I'm looking forward to more seasons. And All right, enough. That's the sneak peek of the Patreon episode all about House of the Dragons. There are things I liked. There are things that I didn't like. All I long for is chocolate milk of the poppy. Do you think they're going to come out with that next season on House of the Dragon? And call it the Othello? No. Chocolate milk of the no. poppy. Uh, I could go. I could go for some of that right now. Um, <laughs> thank you, Aurora, for coming on the show. I had another dopey story, but time's a wasting. I figured if we didn't finish this thing now, it would never get finished. Yeah, you're going to lose me. Then you're going to hear making meatballs in the background. What kind of meatballs are you making? Pork and ricotta. Very nice. Um, all right, Aurora, thank you for coming through. Uh, Dopey Nation, please send an email, send a voicemail, leave a review, uh, subscribe to Patreon, and you can hear me and Aurora breaking down House of Dragons and other uh, dumb shit very, very soon. Plus, Kat Von D's take on um, anti-Semitism only on Patreon. Um, all right, Aurora. Thank you again. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. Thank you. Me not say dope. Wait, I I have more to talk about maybe for the Patreon, though. I want to talk about the occult and Wordle. Oh, we forgot Um, to talk about the occult for Halloween. Yeah, we did. We forgot to talk about the occult. What are you going to be for Halloween? I don't know yet. I'm going to give out candy, a lot of candy here at the house. I wanted to wear like a witch's wig and hat, um, nice. which is a costume I play, not in North Carolina. So I, I got to figure something out. All right. Now we'll what say you- I'm going to either be a bum, a homeless person, um, <laughs> a, uh, a, a wizard, <laughs> or, or, 
themes for any of those costumes, a bum or homeless. Bum, homeless, uh, sick at home, or wizard. Do you know what the wow, Dave? You are all you are all those things in real life. Do you know what the common denominator for all those things are? <laughs> Some baggy, baggy nineties jeans and a bathrobe. Nice. So Perfect. I, I got to find a new costume that's appropriate to wear a bathrobe for. Maybe mental patient. I think this year I'm going to be. Your, a, or your corduroy coat, your corduroy blazer. You don't like the you can swap them. You, you They're interchangeable. You don't like the corduroy <laughs> jacket. Listen, give it it's two also, years. Give it two years, and my '90s jeans and corduroy jacket will be coming back. And I never missed a beat. So we'll do it again. You, you do your goodbye. We'll say, stay strong, Dopey Nation, fucking toodles for Chris. Now, Aurora, you do your thing. Me not say toodles. Thank you, Aurora. Thanks, Dopey Nation. Thanks, Dave. Bye.